Amen. Thank you so much. Please be seated. Thank you again for being with us this morning. My name is Craig, and I'm uh, the other pastor here, and it is our privilege to have you with us. If you want to go ahead and be turning in your Bible, we'll be in the book of Mark, chapter 6. Mark, chapter 6. So we've been in the book of Mark for a long while, and we've got a while yet to go. Mark, chapter 6, as you're turning, a couple of things I'd like to remind you of. Adam mentioned already our uh, prayer walk tonight. Please make that a, a priority in your life. Um, if, uh, if we believe what we say we believe about the power of prayer, we should be bathing our schools and other places in prayer. So we've got a prayer guide in your bulletins that you can use. Uh, gives you the address of the schools. It gives you uh, even a guide on the back for how it is that you may pray for them. So I would encourage you to make use of this, um, of this prayer guide. Uh, at some point this afternoon, I know for our students, there are some times sort of, if they wanted to meet somebody else there, there'll be a leader there. But for the rest of you, just go. If you want to, um, if you want to, uh, I know some of you have used uh, uh, social media, that's what I'm looking for in the past, to document that. I think usually the hashtag is Malvern Hill Praise. We'll just go with that. That's what it will be, okay? So go for it. It sounds great. Um, the other thing I just want to mention really quickly is our um, equipping studies coming up. I'm really excited about the opportunities here, especially uh, the one on, uh, on, on the book Sing I've mentioned to you, and also the one about um, uh, following the Messiah. Th those are some, some really good things in there, but th those two, I'm, I'm leading neither of those, but I think those are some really cool opportunities that exist before you, as well as a good women's study and lots of other things. So I just encourage you to get signed up in the back for our equipping studies. Hopefully by now you've made it to the book of Mark, chapter 6. We're going to begin reading in verse 30. We're going to read about Jesus feeding the 5,000. A few weeks we're going to see Jesus feed the 4,000. I want you to know those are two very different events with two very different purposes in God's Word. So don't confuse them. Uh, here we see Jesus feeding uh, a group of, uh, of Hebrew believers, Israelites. And that matters for the rest of the, uh, rest of the story this morning. Stand with me in honor of God's Word. Matthew chapter 6, beginning in verse 30. The apostles returned to Jesus and told him all that they had done and taught. And he said to them, Come away by yourselves to a desolate place and rest a while. For many were coming and going, and they had no leisure even to eat. And they went away in the boat to a desolate place by themselves. Now many saw them going and recognized them, and they ran there on foot from all the towns and got there ahead of them. When he went ashore, he saw a great crowd, and he had compassion on them, because they were like sheep without a shepherd. And he began to teach them many things. And when it grew late, his disciples came to him and said, This is a desolate place, and the hour is now late. Send them away to go into the surrounding countryside and villages and buy themselves something to eat. But he answered them, You give them something to eat. And they said to him, Shall we go? And buy 200 denarii worth of bread and give it to them to eat? And he said to them, How many loaves do you have? Go and see. And when they had found out, they said, Five and two fish. Then he commanded them all to sit down in groups on the green grass. So they sat down in groups by hundreds and by fifties. And taking the five loaves and the two fish, he looked up to heaven and said a blessing and broke the loaves and gave them to the disciples to set before the people. And he divided the two fish among them all. And they all ate and were satisfied, and they took, the, took up twelve baskets full of broken pieces and of the fish. And those who ate the loaves were five thousand men. Let's pray together. Father, I pray that this word would come alive to us today. I pray, Father God, that just as you broke the bread and multiplied life for the five thousand plus who gathered to hear Jesus that day, 
that, Father, you'd break the bread of life before us today, that we'd feast on your word, that, Lord God, we'd be refreshed in the living water that flows through your spirit, that we would be changed and satisfied in Christ. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. This is an incredible story of Jesus recreating the miraculous feeding of the Israelites in the wilderness. As He calls out His people from their bondage to sin, they are reminded that they are fed by the very Word of God. Uh, I have loved preparing this message this week, but I couldn't help but as I read it to think back to, to the Chronicles of Narnia. And, and there, as the people must have gathered on that that open field, and, and heard from Jesus. I couldn't help but think of the scene. My favorite scene, well, one of my favorite scenes in the Chronicles of Narnia is when the children cross the river, they finally get out, they nearly die, they get out of the river, but as they come through, and they get out on the other side, and they're soaking wet, and it's cold, and they're freezing, but as they begin to walk through the forest, the forest blooms ahead of them as they walk. You see them begin to take their wet jackets and coats off, and before you know it, they're just, they're just burning up. Because overnight, like just that quickly, spring has arrived. The children don't fully understand, but they begin to put the pieces together. They piece it all the way back to this conversation that they had with Beaver just a few hours prior. Beaver said, they say Aslan is on the move. Perhaps he has already landed. And when Beaver said this, this is how the children felt. And now a very curious thing happened. None of the children knew who Aslan was any more than you do. But the moment Beaver had spoken these words, everyone felt quite different. Perhaps it has sometimes happened to you in a dream that someone says something which you don't understand, but in the dream it feels as if it had some enormous meaning, either a terrifying one which turns the whole dream into a nightmare, or else a lovely meaning, too lovely to put into words, which makes the dream so beautiful that you remember it all your life and are always wishing you could get into that dream again. It was like that now. With the name of Aslan, each one of the children felt something jump in its inside. Folks, that's what Jesus does. At the name of Jesus, life springs forth. This morning, I want you to know that you can find satisfaction in Jesus Christ. He is enough. Are you satisfied this morning? In this passage of Scripture, we see Jesus meet the people in the wilderness and give them everything they needed. The first thing this morning we see is that Jesus meets you in your wilderness. Jesus meets you in your wilderness. Now, He may take you into the wilderness or He may just meet you there, but regardless of how it is that you got there, you can be confident that you are not alone. You are not alone. Are you in a desolate, dry place today? Are you in a hard place? Are you in a terrifying place? You're not all by yourself. The Bible says that Jesus meets you right where you are. Now, I want you to notice that it seems as though on the back end of their ministry, of the disciples' ministry, I mean, the people were coming out to see the disciples, and yet Jesus met them there. Now, let's go back and, and, and reread. Beginning in verse 30, the apostles returned to Jesus. Jesus said, y'all come away to a desolate place. Let's go rest for a little while. Now, let's not, let's not forget where we were just, just last week. Jesus has just gotten the news of John's demise. This is an intensely busy time in Jesus' life. 
He, he sends the disciples out. They come back, and they're jacked up. Let me tell you what happened. And about that same time, Jesus gets the news that John the Baptist is dead. Jesus is like, why don't we just get away a little bit and see if we can't breathe? Now, they have to get... What was that? Am I still on? Are we good? Now, they have to get away... They have to get away because according to Mark right here, it says they, the, the people were coming and going. They had no leisure even to eat. They, not just Jesus, they. The disciples had, had had such a profound impact and effect upon the neighboring areas that the people were now not just flocking to Jesus, they were actually flocking to Jesus' disciples to experience the benefit of their ministry. Folks, do people flock to you because of the love and the care that flows from your life? Do people flock to God's church and say, this is the place where I can be fed, where I can be found, where I can be ministered to and cared for? It should be our goal. That this place is filled with all sorts of hurting people. That when people hurt, they show up here and they find relief and satisfaction. I'm excited about what God's doing in our church right now. I'm really excited about what He's doing in our church. I looked out several weeks ago and I saw hurting people over here and hurting people over there and well people back here and well people over there. And I don't know where in the world we're going to put them all. We're trying to, we're, we're, we're going to launch a new life group in coming weeks because we got so many of y'all coming in that have nowhere to be and we need to make room for you. We need to make room for you to come and be ministered to and cared for. But folks, if we're doing our job as the church of Jesus Christ, then hurting people should just show up at our door. Our reputation should be that when everything else goes south, Malvern Hill is a place I can go and be safe. It's a place I can go and be loved on. It's a place I can go and somebody will take me by the hand and walk me into a healthier place. For goodness sakes, it ought to be known as the kind of place when people show up, they'll meet Jesus, right? Isn't that what we're supposed to be about? But it only gets known as that if the people of Malvern Hill, the people of this church, are actually going out from here and telling people all about Jesus. You see, we have this crazy idea that we want folks to show up. They will show up. But they only show up if we go out first. The people here were, were driving the disciples crazy. They couldn't eat. But they didn't just show up. They didn't cut their grass really well. And somebody's like, oh, that Peter, I saw him fishing the other day. And the way he cleans a fish, I know something must be different about his life. That didn't happen. Jesus sent them out to go and to do gospel ministry. And when they went out... And they proclaimed the good news of the kingdom. Guess what happened? People heard them. And when people heard them and people experienced the love that they had to offer, people said, I want some more of what they got going on right there. Y'all listen to me. If we will get outside these walls and proclaim the good news of Jesus in the highways and the byways and the hedges of this world, then the people who desperately need Jesus won't stay in the highways and the byways and the hedges of this world. We'll find them right here in the hallways of Malvern Hill Baptist Church. But it's our responsibility to go. That was a side note. That's actually not a part of the sermon, but y'all can take that home. You'll, you'll appreciate it later. So the Bible says that the apostles returned. Jesus says, let's get away. Jesus says, I need a break, and I need to spend some time with y'all. Jesus says, I want to hear from you. Y'all, you know y'all have children that come home from something exciting? Like, they just can't wait to tell you all about it. They, they, they walk in the... Like, usually what happens is my kids get home and I'm not at home. So Angela picks them up from camp or they come home from this place or that place. And I'll walk in the door at 5 o'clock or 5.30 or whatever time I leave from here. And I'll walk in the door and they just meet me at the door. And they just start talking. And they start talking. And I finally have to say, okay, okay, can... can <laughs> 
Would it be okay if I put my stuff down first? I, I want to hear all about it, but would it be okay if I just caught my breath? Maybe I can get something to drink. Maybe I could just change clothes and sit down, and then you can tell me all about it. The disciples are just blowing Jesus up. You're never going to believe what happened, Jesus. I mean, we went out there, we spoke. Would you believe that the demons actually listened to what we had to say? Jesus, we preached and people, they changed. But they're trying to say all this and people are flocking to them and they need more help and they're doing all this ministry and Jesus is grieving over the loss of his friend. And Jesus says, let's just get out of here. Let's just go for a little while to a place. Jesus drags them away to a very desolate place, the Bible says. But the Bible says that while they were going, keep reading, they went away in a boat to a desolate place. Now many saw them going and recognized them and ran there on foot. Notice what has happened right here. It's not just that people are recognizing the ministry of Jesus. These people are following the ministry of the disciples. They recognized them and they took off. Okay, this is not a huge sea, as you're aware. They see them on the lake. They kind of get an idea about where they're headed. And it might just be that they run around and they just keep, keep checking every little seashore until they find the right place. Maybe they didn't get far enough away. They could still kind of see them off in the distance. But whatever it was, the Bible teaches us that they all went after them. And when they got off the boat, there they were waiting. Jesus stepped foot onto shore. Do you notice they didn't come to see Jesus? Here they rushed out into the wilderness to hear what Jesus' disciples had to say. But right there in the middle of the wilderness, Jesus met them. Folks, you know that Jesus meets you right in the middle of your wilderness. Jesus meets you right in the middle of your wilderness. They didn't go to see Jesus, but Jesus found them anyway. Folks, where are you today? Are you in the wilderness? Are you in a desolate, dry place? Do you know that Jesus is right there with you? Jesus is the bread of life. He offers you streams of living water. How bad does it feel? How alone do you feel? Trust me, you have never strayed so far that Jesus can't get to you. You are never beyond the reach and the saving power of Jesus Christ. In that dry and dusty land, the Old Testament promised that He would make streams of water. If you're here today, and your life just seems upside down. Can I tell you that Jesus brought you here on purpose to meet you right in the middle of that wilderness and to offer you life, to offer you hope, to offer you joy, to offer you victory. He gives you all of those things in the gospel. That's what a God He is. Jesus meets you in your wilderness. The second thing we see this morning is that Jesus offers rest. Come away by yourselves to a desolate place and rest a while. Jesus looked at his disciples and said, well done. You worked your rear ends off. Now let's go and rest a few minutes. Do you know that Jesus offers you rest? Now, it's not an accident that in this passage we see Jesus behaving in many ways that the Old Testament prophesied. And one of the great prophecies of the Old Testament, and one of the reasons that these people would have known that Aslan was on the move right here is because the Old Testament promised that there was a shepherd coming who would feed them. The Old Testament promised that there was one coming. We get a picture of that in Psalm 23, don't we? That in Psalm 23, we are told he is the good shepherd who leads us beside still waters. 
In Ezekiel 34, 23, we read that he feeds you, he feeds us. He will feed Israel as their shepherd. He promised that. God promised that all the way back in the Old Testament. Repeatedly, we are told about this one who was coming to behave this way and to love his people this way. Jesus gives rest. Folks, we don't fully appreciate the gift that rest is. Now, Psalm 46, turn there if you want to. It's one of my favorites. Even if you don't want to, turn there anyway. I mean, it's an imperative, imperative psalm, so, which means it's, it's telling you to do something. So I'm going to tell you to do something too. Psalm 46. Now, now if, if, we, if we begin in Psalm 46, verse 1, we read, God is our refuge and strength, the very present help in trouble. Like, yes! Therefore we will not fear, though the earth gives way, though the mountains be moved in the heart of the sea, though its waters roar and foam, though the mountains tremble and swelling. Yes! Keep reading. There is a river whose streams make glad the city of God, the holy habitation of the Most High. God is in the midst of her. She shall not be moved. God will help her when morning dawns. The nations rage and the kingdoms totter. He utters his voice, the voice, the earth melts. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. Oh, praise Jesus. This is a war psalm. Don't miss it. Come, behold the works of the Lord, how he has brought desolations on the earth. He makes wars cease to the ends of the earth. He breaks the bow and shatters the spear. He burns the chariots with fire. The world is in chaos in Psalm 46. And then we get to verse 10. He says, be still and know that I am God. I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in the earth. As those of you who have been here long enough have heard me say many times, this isn't a psalm. For a calm morning on a pond. This isn't walking out and saying be still and know. This is God in the midst of chaos and turmoil. Looking at his people and say stop. Be still and know. I am your God. I will be exalted. God says get on board. I'm going to be exalted one way or the other. I'll be exalted. This is a psalm of rest. God's command, children are commanded to stop, be still, and know. This is the rest that Christ gives us as a gift. We can trust Him. We can stop our work and our labors. The world will go on fine without us occasionally because He is in control. He's teaching His disciples this right here. Come away with me and rest. You know, it's okay to rest in the presence of Jesus. Rest is a gift. Now, don't miss that, and we're going to talk about this more. This, this passage, this experience with Jesus, is Jesus calling out His covenant people again. This is the recreation of the Exodus. Jesus is feeding His people in the wilderness. Jesus is initiating the new covenant people. And as God of all gods and Lord of all lords, just as He was present with the Hebrew children as they crossed over the, through the Red Sea and as they were fed with manna from above, that same Jesus, that same God is Jesus Christ. And here we have Jesus calling out His people, reconstituting His people, commissioning the new covenant as He feeds them with bread from heaven. And in so doing, He is giving them rest this is why we teach our kids to pray god is great god is good let us thank him for our food by his hands we all are fed give us lord our daily bread 
As we'll see in just a few minutes, the bread represented life, and yet this is bread they did not have to work for. This is bread that was freely given. Folks, mealtime is a great time to honor the Lord for His gifts because it is also a time when we stop. We stop to reflect upon His gifts to us in the day that we have. We stop to engage in conversations and prayers and to hear His Word. Jesus commands the, people to, or the disciples to separate the people into groups of fifties and hundreds just as the Hebrew children were done. They knew Aslan was on the move in this image. The people knew exactly what was happening. The Messiah has come. Now we're going to explore this more in just a few minutes, but many of the people probably pursued Jesus and his disciples into the wilderness to get their marching orders as God's army. But as they have come out expecting an insurrectionist, Jesus sits them down and feeds them. Some of you showed up here today going, what in the world am I going to do? How can I work to earn God's favor? How can I work to earn God's love? You know that you can't do anything to earn it, but Jesus gives it to you free of charge. He gives you rest. Rest. They showed up. Tell us what we should do. And Jesus says, have a seat and let me feed you. What a hospitable guest. And over those meals, certainly the people would have wondered, who is this God that meets us here in this place? Folks, the world says, work, work, work. Jesus says, come to me all who are weary and heavy laden and I will give you rest. Jesus offers you rest. Rest from the craziness of your life. Rest from your... This is good, hold on. Rest from the sins of your past that still haunt you and torment you. Do you know that? That in His forgiveness, He offers you rest from those things that keep whispering into your ear? Rest from those things that continue to tell you that you can't, or that you're not good enough, or that you won't, or you'll never measure up. Rest from those things that says, God couldn't use you. Look at who you are. Jesus offers you rest from all of those things and respite. Imagine laying your head down at night with a clear conscience. Imagine. No worries, no cares because you've cast them all to Jesus. Imagine what it is. Listen to me. Some of you can need to imagine this. Imagine what it's like to go to bed at night and to know that if you wake up, in the morning it'll be fine, and to know that if you don't wake up in the morning it'll be fine, because Jesus has you in His arms. How about that? You don't have to go to bed tonight worried that if you were to die in your sleep, that you'd go to hell. You can go to bed tonight confident that Jesus Christ is enough. He gives you bread. He offers you rest. So He meets you in your wilderness right where you are. When He meets you there, He offers you rest. Come to me, all who are weary and heavy laden. And the third this morning, He guides and protects you. Again, back to the Psalm, Psalm 23. Yea, though I'll walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. Turn with me to Ezekiel chapter 34, if you can find Ezekiel. It's one of those, those uh, um, major prophets. There's no shame in going to the table of contents if you need to. No shame at all. But you're going to go Isaiah, Jeremiah, Lamentations, Ezekiel. Ezekiel chapter 34. Listen to this. 
beginning in verse 24. And I, the Lord, will be their God, and my servant David shall be prince among them. I am the Lord. I have spoken. Watch. I will make with them a covenant of peace and banish wild beasts from the land so that they may dwell securely in the wilderness and sleep in the woods. These people have come out to meet Jesus in the wilderness. Why? Because there was a belief that God's Messiah would meet with the people in the wilderness and give them security. Folks, Jesus is the good shepherd who guides and protects. He makes us dwell securely even in our wilderness places. But notice that He doesn't only protect, He guides as well. Now listen, as I said a minute ago, the people were coming out to see the disciples. And yet, once they got there, Jesus met them. Now, the disciples must have been pretty excited. I want you to imagine you've been living in Jesus' shadow for three years. Well, maybe two years at this point. You've been hanging out. Jesus has been teaching you. Jesus finally sends you out. You've been, you've been singing to him every day. Put me in, coach. I'm ready. I'm ready to play today. Today's the day. Jesus, I can do it. And finally, Jesus is like, you know what? I'm tired of hearing you go. Go cast out some demons or something. It's not exactly the way it worked, obviously. But Jesus sends them. He commissions them out. And as they go out in these places, they experience incredible blessing. They experience great ministry success. And on the back end of that, the people are not just wanting to see Jesus. The people are actually following them. I want to imagine how, how that must have felt. I want you to consider that the disciples must have walked around with their chests puffed out just a little bit. That when they got there and all the people had come to see them. But look what Jesus does. He doesn't just feed them. He doesn't just give them rest. He guides them and protects. The Bible says Jesus got off the boat. Do you know that by getting off that boat, Jesus probably saved some of those disciples from their prideful selves? Jesus got off the boat. He had compassion because he saw them as sheep without a shepherd. So the first thing that Jesus does to guide and protect is to guide and protect the disciples. He puts them back in their place. Folks, that's not a mean thing that Jesus did. That's a gracious, gracious and grace-filled thing that Jesus did. Just as the disciples began to think that they were the thing, Jesus reminded them, no, 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 no. I'm what they need. But the second thing that we need to recognize is that Jesus leads us in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Now, there is some argument and some evidence to suggest that the people were coming into the wilderness to be led in an insurrection. They were actually gathering in the wilderness not primarily for the healing, but it was not uncommon for insurrectionists, for revolutionaries during this time to try to gather their people in the wilderness, create their marching orders, train them up, and then go out and try to attack the Roman army. Now, you say, Craig, that seems like a fairy tale. Turn to John chapter 6. Now, John chapter 6, verses 1 through 15, is the retelling of this story from John's perspective. But in verse 15, we read that Jesus, perceiving then that they were about to come and take him by force and make him king, Jesus withdrew again to the mountain by himself. Okay? There is, in John's retelling of this, the idea that the people were looking to raise up, to rise up, and to create a new political order. 
All right? Now, part of Jesus' guidance and protection in this passage of Scripture fits exactly what we see Jesus do over and over and over again. About the time Jesus and the disciples reach sort of a peak of, of, um, of popularity, he would do something crazy, and the disciples must have went, this is a PR nightmare. You know? They look at him one day and say, things are going real well. The people are following us, and Jesus turns to us and says, hey, anybody that wants to follow me must eat my flesh and drink my blood. And whoever the smartest of the disciples is, let's just assume it's Thomas, goes, Jesus, what in the world are you doing? Like, we had a chance right here, and you just turned around and looked at them and said, eat your flesh and drink your blood. They all think we're cannibals! Right here at the height of the popularity, Jesus feeds them. Now look, when he feeds them, there's no evidence in the Scripture to suggest that anybody other than the disciples have any idea about this miraculous feeding. The people don't rise up and celebrate. Jesus just feeds them. And if you know anything about politics, if you'll give people something, they'll vote for you, okay? Y'all just think about that and just take it home with you. Jesus feeds them. This, this miracle seems to be limited to the experience of the disciples. There's 5,000 men plus women and children here. So there's maybe 15,000 people. Very few people are close enough to actually see what in the world's going on. Right? They just see Jesus passing out bread. Right? He, he breaks it, he prays, and, and there's this miraculous multiplication of the bread. I've eaten bread like that that seemed to multiply miraculously. I bet Jesus has tasted better than the kind I've eaten that seemed to multiply miraculously. Y'all know the kind I'm talking about that multiplies in your mouth when you're trying to chew it and it just won't seem to go away. Jesus breaks the bread, he passes it, and the people are thrilled to death. We came here with nothing. We came here to be given our marching orders, and here he is. The king has fed his people. But the Bible says that after he fed them, Jesus walked away. Why? Because as the good shepherd, he feeds, he gives rest, he guides, and he protects. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. Why? Because you are with me, giving me encouragement, and telling me how awesome I am. No! Your rod and your staff comfort and guide me. The great shepherd guides us and protects us with the rod and the staff. The staff he uses to keep the sheep in line. The rod he uses to drive away the predators. Jesus looks at them and he has compassion because they look like sheep without a shepherd. He feeds them. But once he has fed them, Jesus doesn't hang around long enough for the talk to grow. Jesus doesn't feed into their insurrectionist fervor. He sends the disciples around to collect the baskets of food that are left over. Why? Because we're getting out of here. Go take up everything. I want everybody to understand the party's over. They collected 12 baskets, 12 small baskets. Why? Because this is a picture that the gospel message of Jesus, the broken body of Jesus, the sacrifice of Jesus is exactly all that is needed to fulfill God's purposes to the 12 tribes of Israel. Jesus is, is the perfect Passover 
feast. The Passover pointed to a greater sacrifice, a feast that would fill them. In the wilderness they were fed with bread, with manna from heaven. That manna from heaven, of course, was given to them every single day, except on the last day when they were given two days' worth. And then it was given to them every single day again. They were given just enough that they needed to be sustained. And God met the needs of every single person. Here Jesus meets the needs of every single person. There's just enough. There wasn't overabundance. There was enough because Jesus is exactly and completely fulfilling the purpose of God. What we're going to see moving forward is when we get to the 4,000, there's a bunch left over because the gospel message is going to spill out to the Gentiles. What an incredible blessing. Jesus meets them right where they are. He guides and protects. Listen to me. Jesus guides and protects you as well. How many of you, if we were to ask the question, would be able to raise your hand? I don't know what in the world's wrong with this microphone, but it's driving me nuts. Is it my pack? Is that what's going on here? Let's do this, okay? Can we, can we swap out? Because this thing's scaring me to death every time it pops. We good now? Mercy. Okay. Jesus guides and protects you and me. If we were to have, have a hand go up, how many of us could talk about the times that Christ stepped in? I didn't even know it. I heard an amen over there. That's what I'm talking about. Yeah, you, you've been there. Somebody, some of you can. You, can. you can look back and you go, I had no idea. But Jesus was stepping. I bet the disciples look back at this, this event many times. Because listen, as they were going around collecting the bread, and the people were going, hey, 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 we think we can get him to be the king. He's the one that we've been waiting for. Well, I bet you this. You know Peter. Peter's checking his sword. Yeah, I think we're good. We got this. But y'all just keep it down. Keep it down. And they're collecting the bread, and they're walking around. Somebody over there, and they say, hey, Thomas, do you think he can be the one? Thomas says, I don't know, maybe. James, what do you think? Bartholomew, what do you think? He says, I think if he'll change my name, I don't care. What would, what would we do? come back up they carry the bread jesus jesus we we jesus jesus hey hey we got the bread wink wink nod nod jesus says, all right let's go whoa 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 hold on no we ain't leaving you brought us here some of you said jesus you brought me here and jesus says i know i brought you here now we're getting in the boat and we're you're leaving No, I'm not leaving. Jesus says, you're going across the water. I'm going up on the mountain, and I'll see y'all later. Well, when are we going to find you? Jesus is like, I'll find you in a little while. Don't worry. Y'all have read ahead. Maybe you know that he's going to walk on the water here in a little while. Jesus goes up on the mountain because, remember, Jesus has been trying to get away for a little while, and Jesus goes up on the mountain to spend some time with his father. Folks, if Jesus needs to get away from the crowd and spend some time with his Father, you better believe that you and I need to get away from the crowd and spend some time. And if you got to get up early in the morning or stay up late at night, whatever it takes, you better get alone. You need it. But Jesus protects his disciples, and he protects those 5,000 men and others out there by sending them away and by getting away. Folks, if they'd have made Jesus king, the Roman army would have come in and slaughtered them all. And beyond that, if they'd have made him king, they'd have missed out on what it was that he came to offer. Jesus didn't come to offer them political freedom and power. He came to give them freedom from their sins. He came to give them eternal security and hope. Jesus guides and protects you. Folks, even in the middle of your wilderness place, if you will come to Jesus, 
with all of your sin, all of your shame, all your hurts, and all your trials, you can have this great confidence. He'll never leave you. He'll never forsake you. He will guide you and He will protect you. And watch this. You can have this great confidence that if He needs to hurt you to keep you safe for eternity, He will. That's right. He will restrain you to keep you safe because Jesus will never let you go. You say, that sounds kind of mean, does it? Does it sound kind of mean that if I choke my son when I'm squeezing his shirt to make sure he doesn't fall over the cliff, is that mean? No, that's saving his life. And when Jesus has you firm in his hands, you can fight all you want, but he'll never let you go. He'll never, ever let you go. Your rod and your staff comfort and protect me. Jesus guides you and protects you. And finally, Jesus gives you life. Bread was life. As he looked on the people, he looked at them as people, sheep without a shepherd. He had compassion and he fed them, he sustained them. He broke the bread just as his body would be broken and he gave the people life. Israel had been fed in the wilderness before when they thought they would die. Remember the words of the Hebrews as they cried out to Moses in Exodus 16. Listen, listen. Would that we had died by the hand of the Lord in the land of Egypt when we sat by the meat pots and ate bread to the full. For you've brought us into this wilderness to kill this whole assembly with hunger. Moses, we're starving to death. Moses, if you'll leave us alone, we'll go back to our slavery so we can have full bellies. God has forgotten us. God says, Moses, did you really think that I could bring them out of Egypt with my mighty right hand? Cross them through the Red Sea, as somebody told me this week, without getting mud on their shoes. And let them starve to death. I have life in my hands. Are you satisfied this morning? See, if we're on, and we need more honesty in church. We need a lot more honesty in church. Because a lot of you put on your church attitude when you put on your church clothes this morning. Okay? Right? Like, I don't wear this jacket except to church. I don't, I mean, this, I, I, it's just not my style all that much. Sometimes, if I want to be fancy, but I just don't wear a jacket that much. But sometimes, some of you put on your jacket or your tie. Or whatever you put on this morning. When you did, you put on your church attitude too. And the church attitude's great because it's got this fancy little fake smile that goes with it. You say, how are you? And you say, fine. They say, that's good, that's good. Of course, some of you have an even faker saying, they say, how are you? <sighs> it's been so hard this week. You're like, what's been hard? It's like, oh, school's starting next week. And I've had to... No! That's not hard. That's you whining. Like we need to move past surface. And some of you need to be honest and say, you know what? I'm going to tell you the truth. Deep down in here, I don't 100% trust that God is enough to satisfy me. And so I filled up all that I have with all sorts of other idols and hopes and dreams. I've had a bad week today because I put my trust in what my children can accomplish. And they've let me down and I should have been trusting Jesus all along. That'd be kind of real, wouldn't it? That would, that would shake up life groups a little bit. 
Like, tell us about your week. You know what? If you could pray for me, that'd be great. Because what the Lord has revealed to me is that my life is filled with idols. And even though I'm here today and I want to worship you, or excuse me, I want to worship Jesus, the truth of the matter is there's this other part of me that doesn't want to worship Jesus because I'm just kind of frustrated with Jesus right now. And we could lay hands and pray. Or we could just be real enough to say, you know what? I went out into the wilderness. But here I am, God, starving to death. Did you bring me out here to let me die? This whispers in the hard places. Man does not live by bread alone. Man does not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. Jesus offers you life. This is an angry sermon. This is a pleading sermon. Because there are, there are many of you who darken the doors of this building regularly. Who have not yet been honest with yourself or with Jesus. Oh, perhaps maybe in the dark places of your nights. You're honest enough to say that preacher says all those things and all of them are true about me. But your pride keeps you from ever letting Jesus come in. There's some of you that say, you know what, I, I, I know that I'm a believer, but I also know that I haven't lived like one for the last 5, 10, 15 years. The Holy Spirit won't let me go, but I won't let go either. And you need to come forward today and say, Pastor Craig, I, I, I recognize that I've lived for me. And I need to feast on Christ. I need to experience His forgiveness. I need to experience His rest. I need to experience His guidance. Some of you need to come and say, you know what, I've been leading a life group, but I've been living a lie because I don't have it all figured out. Can I just tell you something? Some of you are terrified that if you stand up in this church in a little while and you walk down forward and you say, I need somebody to pray with me, you know what you're afraid of? You're afraid that people in this place are going to judge you. I'm going to tell you a secret about this place. It's filled with all sorts of people that have messed up all sorts of things. All kind of stuff. You're sitting there right there and the devil's saying... There ain't nobody in here like you. Let me tell you something. <laughs> I know some of those laughs. Let me tell you something. There's a strong possibility, like a 99.9% .9 chance, you're not the worst sinner in this room. There's a really strong possibility that no matter what you've done, I can point out one, two, three, maybe five or six other people in here that have been right where you are. I can and you know what? What happens when you stand up and you come forward and you say, I don't have it figured out. You know what the people in this church are going to do? They're going to go, ha ha, there you are. Now we're going to make fun of you and talk about you. No, you know what they're going to do? They're going to stand up and celebrate. Another sinner is saved. They might stand up and scream and run down. They, we're not quite that Pentecostal. Run down the aisle and put a robe on your back and a ring on your finger. And say, praise the Lord, my child has come home. 
I'm just curious this morning. Jesus stands ready to give it all to you. Like all the riches of heaven he gives to you. When you get saved, check this out. When you get saved, you become a brother of Christ. The Bible says you become brothers with Jesus, co-heirs with him. I don't know if you have like a good brother or a good sister, but imagine you have one that's just like loaded. Loaded. I got a friend that has an uncle like this, just loaded. Like they just go hang out with their rich uncle because their rich uncle literally just has everything. Jesus has it all. And when you become a brother with Jesus, you read it, you become a son of God and you become a co-heir with him and it's all yours. All of it. Are you satisfied with your life today? See, that's the question we started with. Are you satisfied? Some of you are like the children in Narnia living in a forsaken, cold, dreary, dark world. Some of you feel like you're drowning in an ice-covered river. And I'm here to tell you that Jesus offers you spring. Warm breezes of salvation on your face and hope in a life to come. If you're not satisfied with where you are, you don't have to leave here today that way. You can find hope forgiveness, and freedom in Jesus. Would you come today? Would you push aside your pride? Don't worry about your shame. Don't worry about what anybody's going to think. Because that person sitting beside you, one of two things is going through their brain. They're either sitting there beside you worried about the same thing and worried about what people are going to think, or they're sitting beside you going, I can't wait to celebrate a sinner come home. Do you know that? I want you to like, look at the person beside you. Look at them. Turn and look. Don't say anything. Just look. Let me tell you something. That person won't judge you. That person will not judge you. I told you this morning, this place is filled with all sorts of new people, and we're trying to figure out what in the world to do with all of you. But my concern is that these old people and new people and middle people they're still stuck in their wilderness. And they've not experienced the life-giving bread of Jesus. Would you come today and receive Christ's forgiveness? He will not cast you away. Would you come today and rededicate your life to Christ? Would you come today? There's room here for you. Pray with me. Father God in heaven, I pray that you would... Um, Meet with us in this place. I pray your Holy Spirit, God, would, would be real and present. I pray that the word that has been read and preached, Father, would be a word that is real and active and alive. I pray, Lord God, that you would give us freedom from our pride. Give us freedom from our shame. Lord God, give us hope in Jesus. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.